Oi, oi, and welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast, sponsored by HF Classroom with myself, Steve Nussbaum. And as always, I'm joined by my South Stand chum, the bearded legend, the one and only, the daddy-o, it's Mr Paul Levy. Thank you very much indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for a very, very special one-off podcast. We are joined by a former player who made 151 appearances, I hope my research is right, um, scoring 11 times, either from left back or left wing. A debate that rages on to this very day, but it's not our debate to have anymore as he's recently left us, opting to take a three-year contract with newly promoted Cambridge United. So a huge welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast, left wing maestro, Mr James Brophy. Welcome to uh, to the show, James. Thanks for thanks for giving up Thank your evening you. to talk to us. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate no it. Worries. As we as we sit here, James, it's a lovely summer evening. How has the last couple of days been for you? Um, it's been okay. I'm in uh, I'm in the second week of pre season. Um, trying to juggle juggle moving into a new place, getting everything furnished in house, and um, getting into a new routine. Um, and balancing that with obviously the the rigors of pre season. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Tough great one. stuff. So before we talk about James's time at Orient, let's give our sponsors a plug. So AJF Plastering, as you all will know by now, are our sponsors. They're an Essex-based plastering and rendering company. They cover all aspects of domestic and commercial work, specialising in silicone colour render systems. And the best part is they offer fifteen percent off. For Leighton Orient fans and staff. So for more information and the best plastering and rendering prices around, you can email Adam and their team at ajfplastering.outlook.com or you can visit AJF Plastering's website, which is www.ajfplastering.co.uk or visit them on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram at AJF Plastering or visit Adam on Twitter at Big Ads LOFC. So as always, a massive thank you to Adam whose sponsorship continues throughout the upcoming season. Absolutely. So, James, we're going to start and do this chronologically. So we're going to start really at the very beginning. So tell us, how did the move to Orient initially come about for you? Because it was um, a moment to start with, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, um, obviously, we'd su- I'd suffered relegation with Swindon. Um, I stayed in touch with Ross Embleton, Um who was assistant at Swindon and had come to come to Leighton Orient as assistant. Um, I stayed in touch mostly with him and obviously knew knew Martin Ling as he was my my manager at Swindon for a bit. Um, so the beginning of the season, I was I was playing at Swindon and then moved from playing to to not really playing and not really featuring. Um, and it come about really as um, Ross seeing if I if I had in, have any interest in in coming to Leighton Orient on loan. Um, so I spoke to him, and obviously just wanted to wanted to play football. So yeah, I was uh, I was very keen to to come. Um, and between between him him Lingy and um, Swindon, they managed to to organise the loan. And what were your first impressions of the club? Because it, you weren't part of like the first lot of players who arrived when there were literally no players and no training cones and nothing. You were like <laughs> kind of the season had already started. So what were your yeah. first impressions? Yeah, well, but by the time I'd got there, it, it didn't really. You wouldn't have noticed um, the the kind of overhaul that had happened in the summer and the kind of start up that had happened and the amount of work that needed to be put in. Um, so I probably joined at a nice time because most of the squad were together and they've been together for a few months. Um, 
and everything had been organised. So um, yeah, it was very nice. I knew, I knew, I knew Ross. Obviously, I knew Lingy, um, and then I knew Jamie Sendles White, one of the players. Um, so it was, it was, it was quite easy to settle. Always, always, and one of the sort of most probably anxiety-inducing things, isn't it, when you're joining a brand new dressing room, and, and especially if you're joining late. So you hadn't been with with us long. Um, and we made an early managerial change because things just really weren't working out. So on the 14th of November, Steve Davis was relieved of his duties. From your perspective, if you can just cast your mind back, what 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 was wrong at that time? I mean, we, we've spoken to a couple of couple of the players, and and sort of broadly speaking, there's a sort of general narrative. But what, why why weren't we getting the results? Do you think? Can you remember? Um. I think I think probably it started with playing poorly. Um, you have ups and downs in the season, and you can go you can go many stages throughout the season having a few bad games. Um, it, it probably it probably started out as that, to be honest, and then just rolled into something bigger. And it probably got to the point where the amount of games we hadn't won for um, would affect anyone's confidence. Um, and then, obviously, when you are in a bad run of form, you feel like everything is going against you. So. There was probably a number of factors, including yeah, players' confidence going, um, the bad run itself to begin with, rolling into a longer period than than was expected, and then feeling like everything was going against you. I know there was a few games where um, I think we had players sent off or we had penalties given away cheaply, and you you just felt as a player after the run we'd been on that um, everything was going against you. You seem to fit in really well. Um with the fan base pretty instantly. And it was quite a blow when, out of the blue almost, you were recalled back to Swindon. So Steve Davis left, got the yeah. push. Ross was in temporary charge and was focusing on you being in a new role in a key formation. And an hour just before the game, you get recalled from Swindon. So tell us about that. How did that happen? And were you yeah. surprised? Yeah, so... um. I think he said it on the other. Um, he, he was, he was. I think we were playing Talky away, and he was looking to play me um, just behind the striker. So I don't know if that would have appeased uh, the fans or not, having seen me. So probably maybe fortunate that I did get recalled. Um, but yeah, I, I, I took a call. I think we were travelling Friday, Friday afternoon after training to Torquay. I got a call Friday, Friday morning, first thing by the assistant at Swindon at the time. Um, basically saying that I'd been recalled and that I was in the squad for the next day and I needed to get to Swindon um, that morning, really, for, for training with Swindon. Um, I didn't know how the rules worked in terms of recall, um, so I just took his word. Um, I rang Ross to let him know, having thought that he would have been the first person to to be contacted and I probably would have been the second. However, that weren't the case. That come out of the blue. Out of the blue to him... Um, so I could, it was quite an awkward conversation because I had to tell him that I weren't turning up to training, um, but it was out of my hands. Um, so I had to, yeah, had to drive back to Swindon that morning, um, train with Swindon um, to play the game on the Saturday. Wow! And did you play? I think I was on the bench, but I can't remember. You was on the bench. Yeah, you were yeah. on the bench because I, I remember our Twitter feed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because when the team yeah. was announced, he was on the bench. Yeah, I think However, I might have. I'm not even sure if I come on. Um, if I did, it was only for about five minutes. So, um, yeah, I was probably feeling, I hope, the same as a lot of the fans at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Fast forward then, you, you then rejoined us on a permanent deal uh, at the end of the January 2019 transfer window. You joined us on a two and a half year deal. And there are a few changes to the O's team that you left behind. I guess most notably, um, the man in charge was Justin Edinburgh. Um, do yeah. you remember your first first meeting with Justin? Um, first meeting was at the training ground after I'd signed. Um, straight away, really liked him. Um, straight away, felt there was a there was a strong connection. Um, very down to earth, very easy going. Introduced himself. Um, and very accommodating um, in terms of understanding the the balance between um, between football and your life outside of football. Um, so yeah, first impressions were well. I thought that we would have a, a really good relationship. And you were in his wanted... first team meeting, weren't you? Because Matt Harold said he missed it. Matt Harold missed it. Yeah. Where was he? He was in the gym. He was late. He was in the gym. <laughs> Apparently. Okay. To him, yeah. That would be the first and last time Matty Allen was in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so using what? weights. If he was on the bike, then fair enough. But if he, if he says that he was doing weights, I do not believe <laughs> And when you left, when you left your loan spell, we were getting trounced 3-0 by Torquay, right? <laughs> Massive downhill spiral. When you come back, it's like we were already on that upward trajectory in the space of two months. So what... So what yeah. What had changed in, in your perspective in those two months that you'd left the club and then come back? What had changed? Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, to... I don't want to write anyone off, but the, the gaffer obviously had a had a massive amount to do with it. I don't want to say single-handedly changed the whole club, but um, yeah, it did feel like that almost coming back. Um, there was a leader, um, which was him. There was a focal point. Um, there was a very strong organisation, everyone understanding what their roles were and responsibilities were. And he, he was the, the leader. The team were behind him following his instructions, um, which led, like you said, to almost an ascension um, in terms of results. As, as I was coming back, I felt like we were, we were already on the up, even though I was only coming, I think, his second or third game. So the FA Trophy was up next. Um, it was a bit dramatic in both seasons that you were at the club. In the first season, just to remind you, uh, we had a 4-3 win uh, over Dover and then we had the game at Gateshead. Yeah. Do you remember those games? Yeah, I, I remember because um, Gateshead, actually, we, we had it at home, didn't we? And we they brought it to a replay. Yes. Um, and I think we were either 3-1 or 4-1 up at home. Yeah. We were three and up. We were three and up. with twenty five minutes left. Yeah. Yeah, and um, a lot of us watched the last twenty five minutes back of the game, and um, we're, we're looking at our decision making, going, "What are we doing?" Um, because we were three 0 up, and when you watch the game back, the last twenty five minutes, we we play it as if we're losing um, because we just want to carry on attacking. Um, in no holds barred, which was probably against um, went against us. Yeah, in the end, um, so. I, th- I think we should have managed that game a lot better. It should have never been brought to a replay um, the first year, um, which which almost killed us. Because then I think we had to go to Gateshead. Was the replay on a Tuesday night? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Which is not the nicest of feelings, having to travel all the way to Gateshead on a Tuesday night. <laughs> Be stuck on a coach for four or five hours is not the one on a Tuesday night, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the season finished 
at Gateshead, finished with a win. And by that point, we were really looking upwards. Everything was starting already to come together, I guess, like we've mentioned. At the end of the season for the O's, you made 23 appearances and two goals in your first season. Were you happy with your contribution that season? Were you looking forward to the next one? I was looking forward to the next one, definitely. I felt we had um, a real, real momentum going into the next season um, and a real understanding and a real good direction. Um, so we always felt, it's easy to say it in hindsight now because we know what comes next. Um, but I think at the end of that season, there was a strong feeling that the next season would be a success. Um, so I was happy with my with my contribution. I wouldn't say I was ecstatic with it, Um I think it was a very up and down season with me, with a lot of, with a lot of barriers that I had to overcome, um, and wasn't as smooth, as smooth a season as I would like. Um, but I think overall it was probably a, an average season, I would say, in terms of individually. Well, given the troubles that we were going through, that's quite understandable. Given the fact that we were literally on a restart, and then we've had Steve Davis come, Ross took over, uh, and then Justin, sorry, uh, came in a couple of weeks later, so, and then you've gone back to Swindon. It's a very sort of hiccupy type of season. For yeah, us. that's fair enough. But the next season was really the one, the promotion season in twenty eighteen nineteen. So at the start of that, everyone kind of tells you the gut feeling is, yeah, looking around the dressing room, you know, we've got a group of guys here who actually can do something here. Um, has been the general consensus. But but interesting to hear your views on your gut feeling at the start of pre-season, I guess, looking around the dressing room, who we got in the building and uh, how, how well you thought that we were going to do, you know, before a ball had been kicked. Yeah, I think... Um... Pre-season is always, for me, um, especially in the lower league, a massive factor in determining how your season looks like. Um, because generally, there's normally a lot of, um, a, a big, quite a big turnover in terms of new faces, faces leaving. Um, we were quite similar to how we'd been the season before, which was probably to our benefit. Um, however, that pre-season, there was, a, there was a real strong bond created. I know um, we went away. And I think... Um, we met some of the fans one of the nights while we were away. There yeah. was a real kind of, um, there was a real togetherness already implanted in us at the start of that season um, in terms of from a group perspective, which I think allowed us to, to start. I don't think our first few games, actually, we were, we picked up that many points. Um, but I think after about five or six, we went on a real strong run. Um, and I think that was, that was a key reason behind it. Um, was the se the pre-season together. I think the trip away um, led to a real strong bond within the group. And it, it and it was tough work. I think that was probably one of the fittest pre-seasons I've had. You mentioned the early part of the season. Uh, you're right. We started off with three draws. Um, yeah. Quite disappointing. But you scored, do you remember, you scored the first home goal of that promotion-winning yeah. season. You scored an early goal against Ebsfleet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my, yeah, my dad actually got... Um, Made it into turned it into a poster. Me celebrating. I still haven't um, nice. perfected my celebrations. Yeah, but yeah, I've got I've got a little memory memory of that. Lovely. So yeah, I think um, I think the three draws. Yeah, obviously you're, you're disappointed to probably come away with three points um, from the first three games. However, in terms of performance and not getting beaten and feeling like we probably could have got got more points out of them games, we felt in ourselves was a strong start was a kind of um, backs up the belief we had. 
Yeah, and after that, like you said, three draws and then a, a great winning run, trouncing teams and the emergence of young players like Josh Caroma, Dan Happy, uh, players who won probably on the forefront the season before but starting to come through. So were you surprised when you looked at the table, I think like early on, first thing games in was unbeaten and it was starting to become a massive talking point among the fan base anyway, when could we go the whole season unbeaten? And obviously that's never gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> we lost yeah. the first class was home to Sutton if I remember right I think Sutton came and shot shot and nicked them 1-0 <laughs> but were you surprised though to go 13 games unbeaten because that's quite a that's a very good run at any level yeah I mean generally different people do different things generally throughout a season I don't really pay too much attention to the table because I think it just swings um, a lot of times near enough every week and um you can kind of lead yourself to driving yourself insane if you if you carry on looking at it every result, um, seeing where you've gone, if you've gone up a few or if you've gone down a few. So to be honest, that, that season along with the other seasons, I never really looked at the table and I'm, I'm not sure many others did. So in terms of actually going on this run, um, we probably didn't pay that much attention to the run itself. We were, I know it's the old cliche, we were literally taking each game as it comes Um expecting to win it because we were on good form. Yeah, makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It's that self-belief that obviously Justin's instilled in everybody and having that, that methodical plan. Um, we're going to fast forward. We're not going to go through every single game. You'd probably be pleased to know. We're not going to ask you to rack your brain that much. <laughs> <laughs> but on the 17th of November, there was a pretty pivotal game because we faced Bromley uh, at home yeah. um, in the one-off kit with the red V... Um, as a nod to the First World War um, at that time. It was the 100th, um, 100th anniversary of, of that. What what do you remember of that game? Because we've got a couple of, of memories that involved a former player, but I don't want to dictate what your memories are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the one that... Um, his goal, the, the actual goal itself, sticks out massively. Um, I think I was on the bench that game and I come on for like the last 20 minutes... Um, I think, was it first Joby's free kick to begin yeah. with? Yeah. Um, which I think in the end, actually, he scored quite a few free kicks. Um, <laughs> that sticks out for me. Um, Karoma's run, more than the actual celebration, sticks out more. Um, because that was almost, that typified him at the time, was um, almost making something out of nothing and the confidence he had um, and creating a special goal, which I'm sure he he remember for a long, long time. Um, and then obviously, yeah, the, the celebration, obviously, you can't not forget it. Um, I wasn't there with that ex-player, so I don't really know where that come from. Um, but I think you see from the celebration, as soon as he goes to it, the, the, the passion in um, him scoring the goal and then almost everyone going over to him showed, showed again um, the togetherness of the team. And, and the passion he had for for scoring and winning winning the game showed what we were trying to achieve that season and how how motivated everyone was. Like Paul said um, a few minutes ago, we won't take you through every game, but the week after, I felt it's only right we talk about the game that followed the week after. We went away to Wrexham, and at that point, it was us and Wrexham who were looking like pulling away. We got a late, uh, we took a late lead, and I think you came on as a sub again and scored. Yeah. You scored a pretty decent goal. 
Yeah, I think I, I, I didn't have much time to think about it, which probably leads to it being a better finish. Um, I think if I had any more time to think about it, it wouldn't have been as nice. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember the celebration. The celebration again to me sticks out. Um, sticks out because I think when I score, everyone runs over to to the bench, and there was actually a picture made of that celebration that was put up in the training ground the season after. Um, and I'm not in the celebration, even though I scored the goal. Um, everyone else is celebrate, celebrating my goal and I haven't yet come into the frame, um, which I was quite disappointed with. <laughs> um, but I remember the feeling after the game. Um, I think that was a real strong point in our season and a real defining moment. We felt, in terms of, because we thought Wrexham would be up there um, challenging that year. So for us to go away, keep a clean sheet, play, play a very good game, have a very solid game, Score two goals, um, you know. It just it just gave us confidence again that we were that we were on the right track and that we were going to achieve something. And then um, there was a, there was a great atmosphere that game. I must admit, afterwards, um, all the fans and the players together what was was a nice feeling. So, still in the promotion season, we're going to skip now just after Christmas. Um, as well as the league action, we were also in FA Trophy action. You probably recall. Was our we were doing well at this point? Was that a bit of a distraction in terms of our schedule, fixture pile ups, extra pressure for results? There's a whole combination, or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, I don't think so at all. I think when you're when you're winning games and you're playing well, players would play every single day of the week. Um, you don't you don't think about the knocks. You don't think about fatigue when you're when you're on such a good run. You you generally can't wait for the next game. So I think that was almost it wasn't a bad distraction. It was a nice distraction. I think there was a few people murmuring that it would be nice to play at Wembley um, because of, I don't know how many of us had or hadn't. I hadn't. It was a nice it was a nice goal for me to to maybe achieve that on the side as well as focus on the league. So, I don't think that was a, a distraction to the season because we had um, we had a squad and it gave us a chance to almost use everyone more and give people more game time um, that year, which probably makes it easier to manage a group because then you have you have players not playing as little minutes um, that they would be discontent with. Let's skip into later on in the season then, mid-March. It's basically now between us and Salford. It's neck and neck. Were you, have it, were you ever thinking, what visualising in your head about lifting that trophy and seeing it, or was it very much one game at a time? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I keep saying it's cliche, but it really was like that. We weren't, we weren't ever thinking about, oh, like this week we can lift the trophy, or, oh, look how close it is in the table. It was... We, we felt if we turn up, regardless on a Saturday or a Tuesday, if we turn up and play well, we will beat any team in that division. Um, and that was our thinking behind the time. Training was really enjoyable for games, before games. There was a real good feeling in the camp. Um, and we were going into every game, like I said, yeah, feeling that as long as we turn up ourselves, we don't need to, to worry about the other team. I know nowadays there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, thought going, that goes into in the training week about how you can stop the other team, um, the strengths that they have, how you need to nullify them, and then how we 
we play and how we see us winning the game. But yeah, that, that year we felt as long as we play to our strengths, we don't need to worry about their strengths because we'll we're, we're, we're be a better team than them. So let's talk about the last five games then. Um, we had Eastleigh at home. You score the winning goal in a slightly nervy 3-2 <laughs> win that sets us on our, on our, on our uh, path to victory, if you like. Um, you remember that one against Eastleigh? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Um, I remember Daisy's back hill um, more than my goal. Um, I think that was a very yeah. Again, I think that just typified our season. I think there was it was constant ping pong that game where they score a goal, we score a goal, they score a goal, we score a goal. And still, I don't think anyone would say that they were any other season. You're concerned that you're you're going behind this many times or that you keep letting goals go in. There was never a time in that season where, in a game, we felt that we wouldn't win, regardless of the scoreline, as being a goal down. Then, in our heads, I think a lot of players thought, that's absolutely fine. We know we're going to score again. And that was the same with that game. It was a constant ding-dong in terms of goals conceded and goals scored. But I don't think there was ne- never never a worry in anyone's head that we, we would lose that game, as, as nervy as it was for the crowd. Because I understand watching that game um, is probably not a nice feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Was that, come back to that easily goal, was that chance almost a bit too easy? Because you spoke about yeah. Rachel, got no time to think about it. But I remember yeah. Sam pinged it and you were there by yourself. So you've always got too, yeah. time, got too much time to think about it. So what's going through your mind is, <laughs> I guess you can see an open net almost and the ball rolling towards you and it's two all and it's a yeah. point of the season. Yeah, they are the worst chances. You, you don't you don't think to the extent of the scoreline or and what this goal is going to make. You you think to the extent probably I well I think to the extent how easy a chance this is, and I cannot miss this because if it goes wrong, yeah, I f- I feel like you're in a lose lose situation there because everyone can see it going across, and if you score, like everyone expected you to score, so you don't get any kudos for that. If you miss it, however. That is going to be remembered for a long, long time. So, yeah, they're, 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 they're not as nice. They're not as nice finishes as you would expect, even though they're easy ones. Yeah, and I, I yeah. Think, I think some of the players that we've had on the podcast as well, when they haven't had time to think about it, have been the best goals because you just yeah. whatever comes into your head, you're just going to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That one, that one. I was just thinking, get your head over the ball and don't kick it at one of their players. Yeah, or over the bar. Um, so we're going to come on to quite an interesting one now. It's one that we are still in shock to this very day that actually happened. Um, I mean, you, you couldn't make it up. Saturday the 13th of April, Sutton away, we win 2-1. Yeah. We're 1-all. It's down to the last minute now, literally the last minute or two, and the keeper starts doing kick-ups on the byline. Macabon... Mm. Is closing the keeper down. What's going through your mind when you see this chain of events unfold in front of you? Um, yeah, that, that game that sticks up. But there, there's actually a lot of memories I have of that game. I think um, Batesy got sent off that game, didn't he? We were down to ten men. He kicked he, his um, boot at the referee. Apparently not. If Batesy's a clever man, I love Batesy. Um, I met, I was stood right by him getting a glass of water when he, I think he asked the ref if, um, if he'd give the guy a card and obviously he was in a lot of pain himself um, from the challenge it was a horrible challenge and yeah. unfortunately um, yeah it was a bad injury from his point of view and 
I remember him throwing the boot in in the direction of a certain someone. Um, however, mostly throwing it at the ground. So I think to this day he still argues that he would he he, he didn't have a clue where the ref was. So that that's the memory that sticks out for me. And he was in a lot of pain that they actually had to give him. I think they had to give him ketamine um, on the side in the in the tunnel because he was in that much pain um, as a pain relief. And I remember him us coming in after the game, and he's still he's still at the stadium in the tunnel waiting to be brought to the hospital, and he is high as a kite. On, on the pain relief that they've given him. Wow. And um, some, some of the comments he made, I, I won't say too much, yeah, I won't kill him completely, but some of the comments um, he was making in the tunnel afterwards was were to be remembered more than, more than what happened on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I remember the keeper. I remember, I think, if you watch the game, I'm probably standing still because I'm in complete shock. I'm not moving as he's doing that because I don't understand what he's doing. And I, I don't know if anyone's ever asked him to this day what what his decision making process was behind that. Um, I don't know if he was if he was even less weak footed than me that he was trying to get onto his strong foot or trying to kick it, kick it in the air would be better with his weak foot. Um, yeah, but I just I just remember that game and we were down to ten men. I didn't feel like we could, we were going to concede, but I didn't feel like we were going to score. Um, and then that happens. Well, well, this is just written somehow. Like somebody's written a script behind this for for this keeper to give us this unbelievable chance. Yeah, Macabon scored the penalty. We win the game two one, and that kind of put us in a right good frame of mind going into the last three games. We had Harrogate at home, and that was quite drama free, relatively. That was an early goal and a late goal. We got a two 0 winner, yeah. which meant there were two games left as we travelled to Solihull on. Um, Easter Monday and that was nil-nil a bit of an anti-climax of a game that one as a starting point that was nil-nil but other results almost meant that we were basically promoted without winning the title what do you remember about Solihull away? Um, yeah not a lot I think that's when nerves started to probably kick in um, I don't know consciously or subconsciously or both I think that was the game that was the game where probably nerves started to kick in because you probably realise what is around the corner at that point. I felt, when I look back and I felt at the time, the Sutton game for me was the game where I felt in my head that we were going to win the league because because of the manner of the win, I felt that everything was written out and it was planned that we were we were going to win the league that year. And then I think Solihull was the game at the point where people realised that it, that it could happen any day. And that's when probably a few nerves started to kick in. So I don't think offensively we were that great that game um, and there was probably a lot of times where we were hanging on for dear life in that game from from their set pieces I think they were a very direct team and I think um, yeah you have to give your hats off to probably Dino and the defence that game for, for getting the, the attackers out of trouble because we were yeah we were definitely not scoring that game <laughs> <laughs> now the final game of the season was was a bit of an anti-climax, but we we don't remember the the that day for that game. It's more what happened on that day. How were you feeling in the week? What was the mood like in the camp in the week leading up to the Braintree game? Was every I mean, obviously everyone was positive. You mentioned nerves a minute ago. Does that does that really come 
to the forefront? Are people like a bit jittery? What if we? What if they get lucky? What if we're unfortunate? Yeah, I think there there had to be quite a big swing, didn't they? We had if we were yeah. to lose, um, was it we had to lose by a fair amount, and the, and Salford would have, or Solihull would have had to score a good amount of goals for it to swing the other way round. Um, so I feel at that point we were we didn't expect to lose that game because of the form we'd had throughout the whole season. We were quite positive that we would not lose and therefore at least get a point. Um, but the the mood was good in the camp that week. It was it was it was like any other game. I wouldn't say there was a big a big magnitude or a big focus on on the magnitude of the game itself that weekend. Um, but again, that game was was we weren't going to score probably um, because we just wanted to get on the line. So we didn't care if we had to run around for 90 minutes without the ball. It was more the, the feeling afterwards rather than the game itself that a lot of a lot of people were probably focusing on. So the game wasn't a classic, as everyone knows. It finished 0-0, cube, pitch invasions and everything else that comes with it. What, what, what did you do at the full-time whistle? What was your instant thing at the full-time whistle? Um, so I'd been I'd been subbed off that game so I was on the bench um, so we celebrated on the side and then I just kind of done what everyone else done as a, as a fan almost I just ran around like a headless chicken on the pitch um, celebrating and then I had a few people at the game um, at the game myself so I managed to find um, I managed to find my best mate and I brought him down into the change room because he, for some reason he wanted to see the change room. Um, so I brought him down and at the time, the only person in the change room was the gaffer and he just opened, I think he away from everyone and take, take a moment to himself and he'd opened a beer and I remember him just offering me and my mate a beer um, <laughs> as soon as we'd run. So that memory sticks out and then we come onto the pitch because I realised nobody else is coming down so I realised people were still celebrating so I go back up to celebrate some more. Um, and I see my mum trying to get onto the pitch um, and the steward stopping her and I'm thinking all these people on the pitch and you're trying to stop like a 50-year-old woman to get on the pitch. Um, <laughs> so I get on the pitch and we, we have a hug and um, yeah, I, I get teary to be honest. I think I'm, yeah, I'm not ashamed to admit I, I, I did cry, cry of happiness um, a fair bit because it was just all the emotion rolling into one, um, me realising what we'd done and you're almost working so hard all your life as a hobby it then becoming a job and it's it, it's something you can only dream of as a child and for then it to come true yeah the emotion just just took over me and then obviously seeing seeing my best mate and my mum um and all my family there the 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 emotion just took over me completely so how did you actually celebrate because obviously we all went to local pubs and stayed in the stadium. I think Steve and I we, we managed to get up into the into the uh, <coughs> into the uh, what was it now? What's it called now? The le- not the Legends Lounge, the eighty uh, uh, Invited by Mr. T. So thank you to Mr. True. T for that invite. Yeah. Uh, managed to get a little picture <coughs> with the with the trophy. But how did you celebrate? Did you go home and go out after or? Um, I think. <laughs> I remember we went to a nightclub in Essex and it was um, the worst nightclub ever. And it was um, it was completely empty and it was terrible. 
but it'd still be a great night um, because of what happened. I actually enjoyed the, the celebrating at the, the stadium more than the bit afterwards. I think adrenaline just got us through that night. I think I went straight from straight from the stadium to, I think it might have been Craig Clay's house um, and went straight out from there and we met pretty much all the team um, at, at nightclub in Essex and um, yeah, celebrated together really. Um, it was more the celebration that comes a few days later that will will be most memorable. Tell us about that. So we, yeah. so we think, is that, is that going to Spain? Because that's come up in a few other uh, player interviews and they all they always almost tell us everything that happened. But I feel like there's still a lot that's being held back from the, uh, from the podcast. Oh, do they give away a lot? Um, it's a family-friendly that, that show. It's <laughs> that was single-handedly the, um, yeah, the best holiday I've ever had. Um, the most enjoyable. Um, the the bond. I always say it, wherever you go, if you go out for a meal, if you go out for a night out, if you go on a holiday, more often than not, the place is a factor in it. Of course, because you don't you want to go to a nice place. However, more more often than not, it's the people that you're with that make the occasion um, and make it enjoyable or not enjoyable. And because of the group, the group we had and the bond we created. Um, it, it was the most enjoyable holiday ever. There were, I think we were only there three, three nights, but everyone was together pretty much 24-7. I think there was, a fair, there was a fair few players that we, I think we left in the morning, managed to get through, um, I would say, about 37 hours without any sleep and just drinking um, wow. before they crashed. I remember, I remember we, we went, as soon as we got there, we went straight out. Um, we went to to a pie, a pool party in the day, and then we went out that night. And I think I rocked back about six in the morning, um, and a few people were getting up at that time. They'd, they'd been asleep for a few hours and were getting up. Um, and I remember there were still people getting back from their night out at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. So we went straight down um, to the beach and started drinking again. So there was already a few people that managed to get through that whole night without um, without sleeping, and then they managed to get through another day of um, of pool events, and then they crashed early evening that evening at the pool event. And I remember everyone dancing and there being music, and there's people just asleep on the floor in the middle, yeah, in the middle of the day, in the middle of everyone. <laughs> and James dating on his wheelchair, and dates on his wheelchair. <laughs> Dates was never missing that holiday. He could have been, yeah, he, he, he could have been whole body paralysed and he would have still been there. <laughs> that was hilarious. I think, um, I think the physio who, who I get on really well with, Keetan, um, who's left now, um, I think he he tried to use Datesy as his excuse for, for having to be there um, <laughs> because obviously Datesy was in a wheelchair and he was in charge of his recovery, so he needed to assist him. <laughs> Um, throughout the holiday <laughs> <laughs> love it so our season wasn't over though although the season fi- fixture list league fixture list was over we still had the FA Trophy final to come so was it difficult with such a massive gap between the end of the season and then three weeks to play the final game of our actual season was that quite was that quite tough and how was your Wembley experience yeah yeah I think it was tough I think ultimately um, they won and on the day they deserve to win and I don't want to take anything away from them I think from our perspective we would probably look at it and if we didn't achieve what we had and if we didn't go on 
the holiday that we had and had the long break in between, um, we we should have or could have won that game. Um, I think they they were they were still playing while we were taking a short break away and then coming back to train. So I feel like they they had a real momentum to to themselves. They were in a good place uh, physically and physically because they've been playing. Um, and obviously we had a week off and then we had two weeks training. But it's it's hard to get that momentum going again um, when you've achieved something so great. The, the drive is still there and the motivation is still there. For, for me, it was an amazing feeling. It was another kind of um, tick box in terms of your bucket list of things to achieve playing at Wembley. So the, the whole experience in the day was great. It would have been nice to top it off with a, with a win. Obviously, that's the that's the probably one one salty part of that day. So that brought the season to a close. So you finished that season with thirty seven appearances, three goals. All those three goals are pretty pivotal um, <laughs> when you look back on them. To be fair, and what should have been a summer of hope and rebuilding turned into a summer of absolute tragedy, as Justin Edinburgh passed away just three weeks after that. So. I mean, I, I think we know by now that how the players found out. I think we've done enough ex-player interviews. But tell us kind of how uh, how you're reacting when you find this out and when you actually hear the news about Justin passing. Yeah, um, the, the club kept us really well informed. I, I think a number of players were away on holiday at the time. I was away on holiday myself. And we were, um, when it first happened, and obviously him being admitted to hospital, um, we had a Zoom call about it and then we had a regular with the update each day from the club as them call. Um, sorry, I, I forgot the question. That was how we found out. About, I mean, what, what, are you, what are you feeling then when you've, you know, three weeks ago we're all celebrating on the pitch, he's being paraded, full of life, and then, you know, an un, unthinkable situation. So what, yeah. what are your emotions? Um, yeah, again, very emotional while I'm away on holiday. Um, I think everyone has a story about him and I think it's I think it's very rare when um, you get a community or you find a person that you can't really find anyone has has a ne- negative word to say about them I think that's a very rare feeling or um, a, r- a very rare thing in itself which only which only yeah can be can be related to a few people, himself included. Um, I, I was very emotional. I think everyone has a, yeah, has a story of how, how close they were to him or how they remember him. Um, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel real at the time while we were away because obviously, obviously I wouldn't be seeing him at that time. We were in off-season. So it only probably becomes really, really real when you, when you turn up for pre-season and he's not there is when it probably feels most real. The first emotion is overriding. You can't believe it. Um, you're very upset. And then it actually kicking into your body when, when you go back for pre-season and realise he's not there. Yeah, so that's so that's that's a real challenge that I think everybody face. Getting so how did you kind of get your head back in the game? Because obviously the world of football carries on moving, unfortunately. It moves forwards and obviously... The fixtures were, you know, the season was about to well, start not long after our season had, had finished. Bit of pre-season, bit of off time, but then it's kind of straight back into it. So how how do you get? How did you get your yeah. head back into 
the frame of mind where you can turn up to work, to, to training, whatever you want to call it, and to be able to just kind of carry on but not forget, I guess? Yeah. Um, it, it is hard. I've, I've never... Well, I've been playing football professionally now six, six seven years, and I've, I've never had a stage in, in my career like that when everyone at that club... Um, was almost in awe of him. Um, wanted to work for him. Wanted to fight for him. He he made he made that club what it was for for everyone there. It was the most enjoyable season um, the year we went out. But it was the, the most enjoyable period him from the season before to to us winning the league. It was the most enjoyable period I've had as a footballer, and I think a lot of people would have had from that change room. I think it would be the most enjoyable period period they had throughout their career and that that was all down to him um you can't yeah it's hard to really um really do injustice in terms of the effect he had I remember always saying it and I say it every time somebody speaks about it he, he made everyone feel a part of that no matter how little game time you had or how much game time you had um you could not be playing and you would still think he thinks you're the best player in the world which is which is such a rare quality to have um so, so coming back is hard um, because it's hard to find a motivation. He, he was the motivation for a lot of people. Um, yeah, because he, he was just such a leader. Mm. He was somebody everyone followed. Um, and he, yeah, he was just so strong for the whole group. Um, he never looked like he was worried or concerned about anything regardless of results, um, how we were playing whatever was happening, um, he was just somebody everyone got in line and followed without even questioning it. So it's, it's, hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to go back that summer and find the motivation to play because you've lost a huge... There's, there's obviously other factors. You do it for your family, you do it because you enjoy it. But he was a, a huge factor in that motivation. So, yeah, it's, um, it's hard going back that pre-season. It's hard trying to find the motivation to actually play a game and win a game and all that stuff. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, it sounds like I think, you know, every player that we've spoken to kind of says the same thing about, you know, how they'll take away, like you did, their memories of Justin's and everyone's got their stories. So you, I guess yeah. you're cracking open a beer with him as soon as you want yeah. to So you got any yeah. other Justin stories and anything that you take away from your relationship with him? Um. I remember a few nights out on pre-season um, with him and he was just, um, yeah, he, he was the leader on a night out. He was the class clown that everyone would look at. Um, it, it was hard, like, he knew, he knew when to be your mate, he knew when to be your manager and they're two completely different things. Um, we, we had a night out, yeah, in Aberfrew on one of the pre-seasons and um, we come back and... Um, it's probably about three or four in the morning and we're all getting on the, the buggies, like the golf buggies. Um, and I remember, I think, Datesy and Coulson are driving a buggy and I'm on the back and he's coming, um, trying to race them in a buggy and then I get flung off the back um, because Datesy does a little sharp manoeuvre. And the, 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 the drains in Portugal on the road are really deep um, on the side of the road and I get flung into there. And I actually don't know how I didn't get injured. <laughs> um but there's, there's so many stories like that where, and then you remember the other side, the football side, where he would um, he would come, he'd put an arm across you and he would say exactly what you needed him to say to feel, to, to get in the right headspace. So there's, um, 
yeah, there's there's a mixture of everything. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people do. There's still, um, no matter how much time passes, and it can be true of this, there's still moments that I think um, how nice it would be to, for him to, for me to still be playing for him, to, for him to still be here and for, for me to be playing for him and how enjoyable that would be. There's still just completely random moments where I go into training and I think um, how different it would be and how nice it would be if, um, if I was still playing for him, yeah. So, complete contrast to the previous season, we're going into the nineteen twenty season now, understandably difficult. How did you feel going into this season? I mean, obviously, you've alluded to it just a little bit earlier, but obviously now we've kind of moved forward, we're back into pre-season, it's kind of business as usual, but with a obviously huge tinge of sadness. So, how did you feel going into this pre-season? Obviously, very different from, from the last one. Yeah, yeah, it was very different. Um... Yeah, like I said, it's it's hard to find the motivation. You know you need to because, like you said, unfortunately, even though you don't want it to, football moves on and life moves on and you, you have to get back to playing football. Um, I would just say it was a very... I don't even... The best thing I could say is I, pro- I probably actually... I don't really remember that pre-season. It was probably a very quiet pre-season. And, um, probably people were just thinking, just get through pre-season and get through the season. Yeah. yeah, the first home game, I remember, you know, as everyone does, it was a real tinged, intense atmosphere. Cheltenham in the first home league game back and it almost was written in the stars that Josh Wright would go and score the winning goal. I mean, what was that game like for you? Dean Brill and our last interview said, you know, in the huddle, just before kickoff, there's grown men crying within the huddle yeah. and you've got yeah. to go and play a 90-minute physical game of football. Yeah, Um Yes, it's hard. You, you you really don't want to be there. <laughs> like that's the that's the only thing I can say is I love playing football and I'm I'm really fortunate and really happy that I get to do it as part of my job. Um that was probably one of the only times where, yeah, I actually didn't want to play football. Um so yeah, it it, it was it it was hard to play that game. Um like like Dean said, yeah, we had we had a huddle beforehand and yeah, there's a, a there's a lot of the the senior players um, completely opening up and being vulnerable and showing their emotion to everyone, um, yeah, which is which is tough to see, but it's also validating how you feel, um, which is a nice feeling because they're older and more senior to you. So it's nice that they open themselves up and be vulnerable to show their feeling exactly how you feel. So it's um, yeah, it, it was a t- it was a really tough game to get through. But strength strength in numbers, and you're obviously all there. For each other, which is which is part of the bond that uh, that's that's been created. But after that, it was a topsy turvy welcome back to the football league uh, for us. Uh, the next, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, we beat Northampton away one nil, and you got the only goal of the game in that one. Yeah, I'm sure. Have you had Matty Harold on here yet? Did he talk about yeah, his contribution? Awesome. His contribution to that game, yeah. Yeah, a lot of my goals get overshadowed by um by other moments, and I think that was another one that he made sure overshadowed the goal. Um, was his um yeah was his pass his Urza West pass I think he calls it. Um, <laughs> he obviously yeah, doesn't mention again, it much. He doesn't. He obviously doesn't mention it much. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. Um, yeah, he makes sure everyone understands his contributions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was a strange game. Um, it's pleasing to get a goal. Um, 
on a side point, I think that was that was actually my first um, my first goal in in the football league. Um, so long after after I'd started, because I think I'd only scored in a cup um, for Swindon beforehand, and then obviously being in the national league with with Orient. Um, so I remember it being a nice personal moment for me. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a it was just another game. There was no real. It, it's hard to to set out targets for that season um, after everything that happened. So it's almost kind of just, yeah, like I said beforehand, you just want to get through the season. And as long as you don't get relegated, because that, that is obviously still a thought in your head, you don't want to go down mm. um, after, all the, after all the hard work it took to get to there. You don't want it to be thrown away. Um, but as long as you don't get re- relegated, you kind of just want the season to be over. So Ross Embleton was interim manager. After a good spell, he handed over the reins to Carl Fletcher, who was appointed in middle yeah. But he only had a very short reign. He was sacked on the 14th of November. What can you tell yeah. us about the Carl Fletcher period from a player perspective? I mean, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't that appointment work out for you? Um, I think it was really hard for him. I think for, for anyone to come in at that time... Um, would have been hard for them to succeed because I just think players still weren't ready for as Ross's interim manager that period because um because he'd been with Justin there, there's still that continuity um so you don't think about it as much when obviously Carl Fletcher gets appointed that's the first time when you realise actually things are moving on um and things are changing and I think it would have been I honestly do think it would have been hard for for any manager to succeed at that point because. No, nobody wanted change. Still, um, every, everyone still wanted it to be the same because of how good it was and what it was the year before. Um, I could say him as a coach, um, very detailed um, in exactly. He, he was a contrast to to, to Justin to Gaffer. Um, Cole was very detailed in terms of movements and passages of play that he wanted you to play in terms of to score and to win the game. It was really detailed, whereas Gaffer was um, was passages of play to get it to a certain point. And then a lot of their offensive players had complete freedom to then decide how they wanted to score, create a chance or win the game. Um, so it was a stark contrast to, to what we'd had. Um, there was a lot of information given to us um, in the short time he was there, a lot of different information that was probably quite quite overwhelming for everyone in terms of A, they weren't ready to move on yet, like I said, and B, um, just information overload in terms of how he wanted to play, which I think which I think everyone found it hard. I remember I remember the first so either the first or second game um we played underneath him. It was at home. I can't remember the team. Carlisle. Um Carlisle. Yeah. Carlisle. And I remember um I think that that first half, we were superb. We didn't score. Um, and I remember go, coming in at half-time and Joey was playing behind me. And I, I was saying to Joey, bloody hell, we're like Barcelona here. Like, complete attack, um, complete domination of them, creating chances left, right and centre, but we just couldn't score. Um, and kind of after that, after that first 45, I felt like it all went downhill from there. It did. Like we never really, yeah, we, we never really got got into a flow under under him um, or got into a moment, momentum to win games. 
Yeah, we we sat in the south stand. We sit in the south stand, and we thought exactly that. It's like, my God, this new guy's come in, and we're playing (coughs) amazing football. Cue the second half. It's like, where are all the guys from the first half gone? (laughs) What's everyone blew up? (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's putting posters out there. Um, I know, but I guess part of what you said there, right, isn't necessarily something that I personally remember hearing before, and that's about his style was different and perhaps he was too detail-orientated and maybe maybe putting a finger on something that maybe he tried to change a little bit too much too quickly and people weren't ready for that. Yeah, yeah. And we, 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 never, have, we never had a group that had a, that had a bad egg or, or, or would challenge somebody and say that was wrong. Um, I, feel, I feel like it was just them, again, subconsciously inside of their body. They, they just weren't ready for for that change, um, which led to us not really getting into a flow and not really probably playing the football how he envisaged or how he put across us, how he wanted us to win games, um, which led to that complete, um, yeah, that complete inconsistency. Like you said, the first 45 minutes were fantastic against Kalal, make chances left, right and centre and probably should be 3 no up. And then second half, we come out and we probably don't even create a chance. Mm. So Carl Fletcher was gone, 29 days. Ross comes in for a third spell as interim. He seemed to lift the team up really quickly and that spirit that was missing under Carl seemed to be almost instantaneously back. Why was that, do you think? Um, yeah, I think, again, it's, it's going back to the same point. It's in, it goes back to probably how it was beforehand, Um which probably relaxes people a little bit um, and probably puts people at ease a bit more because it's similar to how it was beforehand um, and you've got that con- continuity and you've got that familiarity in terms of um, what success brought you. You've got that again, um, which probably I, w- I would have thought led to, led to the upturn of results, yeah. So we're going to fast forward a little bit now. We're in the January transfer window of that season uh, and the club made a... Pretty significant signing in the grand scheme of it all. We signed some fella to play in goal called Lawrence Vigaru. <laughs> Apparently you might know him. Yeah, I give him a good reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that is part of the process, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we were together at Swindon. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's any secret that I'm, I'm very close to him. Um, it, it, it's hard in football because... Um, especially if you change clubs often, you you meet a lot of people and you you go from seeing um, seeing people every day sometimes to then not being able to see them for three or four months because you've moved to a completely new city or way. Um, yeah, but he he's one of I would say my my few in my close circle that um, I always keep in touch with regardless, and we we probably speak yeah we probably speak every day. I probably speak on the phone more to him than I do to my partner, um, <laughs> but I probably don't see him as much. Um, which is unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he come in, and yeah, if, if you want to move on to further things about him, I, I could talk about him all day. <laughs> where's he, where's he, where's he going, then, James? Is he, is he signed a new deal, Orient? Yeah, then. Hold on, I just need to get my betting app up. Hold on, wait a sec. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think he's got a lot of um, yeah. Obviously, he's got a lot of factors to decide um and make his decision. But I think um. I think he feels at home at Orient, like I did. Um, I think he's very happy there. Obviously, he's got very he's got family very close by, and he's in London where he grew up. So, 
yeah, I think he's very happy there. So I wouldn't write off anything yet. Yeah, I think he's still he's still got a lot of making up his mind to do. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so fast forward then, the season is curtailed prematurely because of the outbreak um, of of COVID nineteen. But actually, towards the end uh, of that sort of early close of the season, we actually started to improve. Our results started to improve a fair bit, and a couple of people have said, "Well, actually." Had we have carried on on that vein of form, and Ross in particular, I'm pretty sure, has said that to us on the podcast that when when he's been on, that had we have continued, yeah. we would have actually probably finished a lot higher up the table. Yeah, I would, I would, I would completely agree. I think we, again, like I said, in football, when when you have momentum um, and when you're on a good run of form, things just fall into place for you naturally as a team. And I think we'd we'd found a winning way um, towards the back end of that season. Um, we found a way that suited us, a way that um, everyone was very comfortable with and a way that won us games. Um, and when, when you're in that good run of form, um, you, don't, you don't see it changing. So I think everyone has every right to say that um, had it not finished, that we would have carried on that run of form and finished a lot higher. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, it gets cut short. So it's easy for... Um, it's easy for everyone to say, oh, it's easy to say that or some stuff like that in hindsight because because you haven't been able to have the chance to finish it. Yeah. So you finished the season, 34 appearances, two goals. Like you said, it was a, it was always going to be a very, very difficult season. I mean, what were your thoughts on the season? I think we finished 17th in the end or around that. Around that. I guess we might, you must have been fairly happy with that based on what you're coming into it from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always think. I, I think I've, I've said this to other people. If we if we'd had Gaffer, um, if if the tragic event hadn't hadn't uh, happened, um, if we if we'd had Gaffer that that year, I, w- I would have never wrote us off of doing a double bounce um, because of the atmosphere um, that was that was within us. I, I would if everything was still the same, I would have never wrote us off um, getting promoted again. And I know again in hindsight, very easy to say. Um, because you don't have the things that allow you or enable you to do what you're saying. Um, but I think because of everything that happened, I think that the season as a whole has to be seen as progress, um, has to be seen as that the positives you have to take out of it is we've come to a new di- division and we, we don't look like a team that has just come back to that division. Um, the way we play and some of the games that year, we, we, we do look like a team that's probably been playing in that division uh, a few years, which is positives to take, which is progression. I think in football, it can go any way and you can't predict it. However, it is a business and for that to happen, it would be seen as a positive because it is progression. Mm, absolutely. So moving on then to the season that, that that's only just finished fairly recently, a bit of a bizarre season, no fans in, in the stadium. How was it for, for you as a player? Yeah, really hard. Um, you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't understand the the impact of the fans until you don't understand something, or you don't realize what's missing until it's gone. You don't realize how much you you value it. Um, I, I would say, and I, I've, I've said this, I would take however many we we get each week on average five and a half. Um, I'll take five and a half thousand fans booing me for the whole ninety minutes um, every game of this season rather than no fans at all because um, 
Yeah, it's, it's the reason you do it. You play, you play, you play for yourself. You play because you love it, but you also play for for everyone that's in that stadium watching you. And no matter how old you are, you do you do want to show off, and you do want to show how good you are to to everyone that watches you. So when that's taken away from you, it's like it doesn't feel the same because you you, you train all week with no one, and you play games in training, and then it gets to the weekend, and you're kind of doing the same thing. You just well. You're just playing against somebody else, but again, it's with no fans, so nothing's really changed. So it, it is hard, um, and there's differences. Obviously, you can hear everyone um, when there's no fans. It, it, it doesn't feel like a home or an away atmosphere, um, which changes games. And when you feel a team under pressure, it's probably very easy for them to 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 again not feel under pressure because they they haven't got any fans getting on their backs or anything like that. So. It's very hard to probably create and push that dominance and make a team feel under pressure for long periods because you don't have the help of fans. It seemed to be uh, a season where it would be two steps forward and two steps back again. It was very stop-starty, three good results, three bad results. We're not going to ponder on too many individual results. I'd say one of the highlights of watching the season back and probably from your perspective is the three two away win at Paul Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that like that. Um, I remember watching it back because I remember me the, the chance I score, thinking um, there's two players that I could I could pass it pass it to, and they have an open goal, um, which I, I would back myself to normally do. I'd normally pass instead of shoot. Um, so I remember watching that game back, thinking I actually don't. Run, understand why I shot there because I wouldn't normally shoot there I normally pass it but it went in um, but that, that was a, that was a very nice game um, and again like you said it as a, as a player the season felt like yeah two steps forwards two steps back we, we created a tiny bit of momentum and then couldn't really follow through with that momentum um, and then go back so it's almost like we were teasing ourselves into thinking we can achieve something um, and then as soon as we had it in sight it was like and then we took a step back, um, which I know is frustrating for fans. But yeah, it, it was it was just just as frustrating um, for myself and for, for the players. I think um, in terms of not being able to to achieve something that was easily within reach. There, there's no reason why um, why we, could, we we couldn't have got playoffs had we all kept the momentum. Um, and just had a bit of consistency to our performances and our results, which we didn't have. Yeah, because one thing we haven't mentioned is that Ross got the sort of full-time, permanent sort of head coach role in, in, in the January of the previous season. So there was definitely the continuity. And at times we were playing some really nice football. There's no question yeah. or a doubt. So that's why I think from our perspective, we couldn't quite understand how we got to sixth or seventh in, in, in the league and we were kind of dilly-dallying around. But I think you've kind of answered that uh, for us there. But unfortunately uh, for Ross, he was let uh, relieved of his duties following the Tranmere defeat. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't see that coming. Um, said to him many a times, even that game. Um, because... I saw Steve Davis getting sacked coming because of the, because of the run of form and because of the, the players' confidence just absolutely drained. And I saw us going into the games not believing um, that we would win. And then 
I've also been in teams that in a team that has been relegated and I've seen that um, and I I remember that game and I remember and I still say it to Ross that that, that wasn't a performance um, of a team that had given up or a team that had drained of confidence it, it, it wasn't that type of performance so for that reason it did come it did come as a shock to me because um, I easily still saw us winning games yeah. Are you surprised in this is I guess in such a quick amount of time, because I think me and Paul both expressed how surprised we were that Ross was relieved on a Saturday and in Sunday morning, such afternoon, Joby McEnough was given the role. Were you surprised to see Joby make that step up? Um, I, I think from probably the, the club would have to answer that. I think from the club's point of view, they probably saw giving it to Joe, Joby as a bit of continuity. Um, so they probably saw it as the right way to go about it rather than, than appointing somebody externally um, that didn't know the group because the last time that had happened with Carl Fletcher, it, it, it went wrong. Um, so they, they probably saw it as a good idea in terms of continuity, as in somebody that knows the group and knows everyone and has obviously his coaching badges, has played at a very high level, comes towards the back end of his career. They probably saw it as a, as a good decision um, for the rest of the season, yeah. So um, I, I can see. I was surprised, um, but I can I can see all the reasoning behind it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So Joby took over for the last sort of sixteen or so games. How well do you feel he did in terms of overall, but also getting his message across of how he wants you guys to play as well? Um. So I think by the last four or five games, we're 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 out of reach of the playoffs. Um, I don't know how many precise. So I think I think them them games it's really hard to judge somebody on um, because um, you have to give the players a motivation. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be like that. But I feel like a lot of times you have to give the players a motivation to to win games. Um, or give them a bit more motivation than the other team for them to get across the line. And the last four or five games, we we can't achieve playoffs, so we can't prolong our season and achieve success. So it's it's hard to judge on on them games when um, when the result doesn't matter so much in terms of the outcome of the season. And then I feel like the ten games before it, um, there were, there was a clear way of how he wanted wanted us to play, but it was a lot like the whole season. There was just there was just inconsistencies in individual performances and team performances, which made it hard to, to win games. Um, and it's, it's hard to, to finger point one thing to say, oh, that was the reason why they can't create momentum. Um, it was just a lack of consistency. Do you, think that was, do you think that was psychological? Or do you think that was down to fitness? Or do you think that was down to, to inexperienced managers? Or a young squad? Can you put your finger on that? Or... Um, no, I, I don't think it was fitness. Um, I would maybe say that my, my only reason, the success we had the season four, maybe the, that this season the group um, wasn't as together as as we'd had previously, which led to inconsistency. If you if you know. If you know someone like the back of your hand, um, probably leads to more consistent 
um, more consistent relationship than than if you don't. And I think, yeah, the only difference would be that the the group probably wasn't as together in terms of knowing each other this season as it had been previously. Cool. I think um, it's probably time for that question, Mr. Levy, the yes. one that has yeah. been coming. Not a week that has gone by on this beautiful podcast for the last two years where we haven't had at least one person or two people arguing about where is James Brophy's best position and where should James Brophy play. So I think it's time for you to to give the most honest answer on this question that you've ever given. <laughs> we, we had you back on the podcast in November and it was it was quite a I'm happy to play answer. But now I think now the time is here, James, for you to give your honest answer. So where where do you like where where do you get the best out of James Brophy? And I think we would quite respect uh, your your views on that one. Okay, um, it's hard because I feel like a chicken giving my honest answer, but it is my honest answer. But I will say I get the which I haven't said I, I get the most joy or the most satisfaction myself um, in beating players, um, which is probably more suited to to further up the pitch. I think I give more consistent performances and I, I watch all my games back um, every week, regardless of how I think I play, because I think when you watch your games back, every clip, there's things you don't realise. Um, and you can see the bigger picture, so you, you actually see better your decision-making. Um, I think I give more consistent performances um, at fullback, um, more consistently better performances at fullback. And that's something that, as a as an individual drives me insane um, when I play left wing when I have one really good game and I think I'm the best winger in the league and then the next game I don't hit that level um, and I don't know why it's the most frustrating thing for me so I get the most joy out of taking people on so I, I would my most honest answer can only be is if I have a good game okay I would say I'm a left winger okay because I get the most joy out of beating people However, I think I give more more consistent performances as a fullback, which is a nice feeling throughout a season to feel like you are playing consistently well rather than going from a 7-1 game to a 3 the next. Understood. I think that's a brilliant answer, actually. I think that's a brilliant answer. I think that answers and hopefully puts that one to bed. We've got a sound snippet that we can pump out. Uh, to promote this one right there. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, so the season ended with a bit of a shudder. We finished well outside the playoffs. I think it's fair to say the South End game is a game that they were pretty much relegated. We could have relegated them and gone into the playoffs and, and, and we ended up losing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we, we, we obviously fell away and, and we, we, we weren't really that close. Well, we weren't far, but we weren't close enough to be in the playoffs. You were offered a new deal uh, by Orient, um, but you decided to um, move to, to Cambridge and you've relocated and everything. Tell us about that. How, how did that sort of come about and, and sort of what made you, what made you want to, to join Cambridge or, and or leave Orient? Um, yeah, so the, 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 the firstly, the, the move come about... Um, at the end of the season, my agent told me that I was um, top of Cambridge's um, transfer list of players that they'd like, um, almost, or top of their list for players that they wanted to recruit, um, and that they'd like me to come down and see the training ground and stadium and the manager, the manager. 
So um, I come down to Cambridge, I think, the week after the season end, had ended with um, with my agent and met the manager and had a look around the around the training ground and um, stadium. Um, there's a few there's a few factors in terms of that leads to my decision. One is one is the league. Um, the league was a big factor in terms of um, in terms of feeling that I had given consistent enough performances to to play in League One again to challenge myself. Um, me looking at my career and what I wanted to achieve out of my career, and me saying that I wanna I still have time to to reach heights that I haven't played at before. Um, and the only way to do that is to progress and play at higher leagues. So I wanted to challenge myself and see see how high and how far I can get in my career. And then um, and then the big thing was was the manager because I feel like I need to I need to place for someone that that I relate to because my most enjoyable season was under a manager that I was very close to, had a very strong relationship with, um, and I knew exactly what he wanted out of me which I feel led to me playing well. Um, and I had, I only met the manager here for, for an hour or two, but I feel like we, we hit off really well. Um, I could see myself, I could relate to him. I could see, see myself playing for him, wanting to play for him. Um, I could see what he wanted out of me. and I could see me being able to, to do that. So I think there's a few factors there that probably led to, led to the decision. Um, but I would say mostly it was, wanting to play as hard as I can to the league and obviously the relationship that I felt I'd created with um, with the manager here. You mentioned Mark a... Bonner, who's obviously a young manager and going places based on what he'd done last season at Cambridge. But you you also met Kenny Jackett, right? So did you not feel that bond with Kenny or did you just feel more of a bond to, to Mark? Yeah, um, so... By the time I'd met Mark, because I, I, um, I think Kenny still hadn't been appointed yet, I, I was pretty strong in my mind of um, what I wanted to do. I still had a big, big pull towards Orient um, because of because of the success I'd had there, um, because of how settled I was, because of how enjoyable it was there um, for me and me knowing everyone. Um, so. I would say the decision was pretty much made, but however, I did meet Kenny because I, I haven't completely made up my mind. One hundred percent, I would say, and I, yeah, I would say what led to it was just me not feeling feeling the the same level of connection that I felt with um, well with, felt with Mark. I could see myself playing for Mark. I could see what he wanted out of me, um, which was a lot clearer than than unfortunately when I met Kenny. What I um, what he said, I couldn't quite feel how he'd see me playing in his team um, and what he wanted, what he expected of me. Did you get a chance to say good? Sorry, go on. Did you get a chance to say goodbye to the staff and players or before you left? I mean, obviously the season had finished. Did you manage to say your goodbyes? No, no, not um, not in person, unfortunately. Um, I think when when I when I made up my mind completely, um, the first person I rang was um, was Lingy because obviously him um, him and Ross were the ones that um, that I knew first and the relationship I had with the longest amount of time, and um, he was still there and he was the one that brought me to the club. So I felt I owed it to him 
um, to let him know my decision first. So I rang him um, and we had a good chat and a good discussion. Um, and then I've been able to get in touch. I, I, I spoke to um, I spoke to Ken Teague, I spoke to Nigel and I spoke to Kenny um, and I've spoke to the, to, play, the, to the players and a lot of the staff, um, but I haven't been able to see them in person and say goodbye. Um, but I'm hoping over the next few months that when things loosen up and when the schedule maybe becomes a bit less hectic, um, I will still I will still t- stay in touch with with 99%. Um, so I'm hoping that I will be able to see a lot of them in person. Come and see in the South Stand with your South Stand chums at a game on a yeah. Tuesday night and we don't Same play. You'd be welcome with open arms in the, in the South Stand. So yeah, we've got for few... sure. I will be at a game for sure. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. We've got a few um, message. We've got a few messages to come from your ex-teammates. Uh, two have come in while we're doing oh. the podcast, and we've got some player questions. But before that, then, what what was your favourite Orient game? Favourite Orient game. Oh, um, wow, that's a hard one. I think Wrexham away, yeah, I would say. Wrexham away, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was really happy with the goal. <laughs> I have to say that. Goal, goal stick out. I was just really happy with the goal. <laughs> was that your favourite Orient goal then? Um, yeah. There was there was a nice goal I scored. I, I don't know if it was in the league or if it was in the FA Trophy, but we ended up losing. I scored at Gateshead away. Um, it, it might have been the the replay that we played. Um, that was a real nice finish. Like I caught it on the volley. Um, I caught it full, and I placed it in the bottom corner. And te- technically, I thought it was a real nice finish. Um, so it's hard. I've got a few different favourites. Yeah, I can't pin it down to one. I haven't scored that many that I can. That can go overboard in terms of having so many. <laughs> but I've got a few. It's quality over quantity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's hit you with some messages in from your ex-teammates. So first up, we've got uh, Dean Brill, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So when asking Dean Brill about yourself, Dean said, what a great lad. The worst laugh. He likes to know everything all the time. The squirrel. Yeah. Calls you the squirrel. Says, so ask him where yeah. his nickname comes from. Yeah, I don't know. He said this to me. He said this to me the other the other, the other time, and I, I actually can't remember. Um, I know it was on like um, Orient were filming a preseason, um, and he says it in the clip. He calls me squirrel, um, <laughs> but I actually can't remember why he gave me the nickname. And I actually need to ask him. I feel really bad for, for not remembering why he calls me the squirrel. Um, but that, yeah, that went viral. Everyone started calling me it after he called me it. Um, in terms of, in terms of needing to know everything, yeah, I was definitely, I was definitely really nosy. Um, I just like knowing, I just like knowing everything and especially come pre-season. Um, I need to know exactly, exactly what runs we're doing in each session. Otherwise, I have a real panic up that I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely. That that first bit is true. Fair I definitely enough. am very nosy. Josh Coulson, I think you've already covered this. Josh Coulson got in touch and said the golf buggy story in Portugal is one of my best memories ever. Yeah, that's the one I said. Yeah. Um, Dates and calls both blame each other for um, who swerved the buggy and who 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 caused me to fly off it. They both um, they both blame each other. So I'm yet to find. Um, 
yeah, than what it was. Fair enough. Matt Harold uh, messaged us from Scotland, from Dundee, where I believe he currently is, who said he couldn't think of anything to ask you off the top of his head, which just shows how much of an impression that James has made on him. But then went to say, James is a great lad. Just please ask him what his favourite position is that we've uh, that we've covered. So yeah, that one yeah. there. Yeah, Jamie Turney yeah. also said, ask him about our little breakfast club when it was just the two of us in the car school. Oh, fantastic breakfast club. Um, yeah, I was, I was staying at my mum's for a bit um, in in um, Harrow, northwest London, and he was um, yeah, he was travelling a fair commute um, from I think High Wycombe area. Mm. Um, so, so we used to meet. I can't remember. He probably stitched me up with the meeting point in terms of it being very close to him. Um, we used to, we used to meet um, near the M25 where I think he used to come down the A40 where the A40 meets the M25 right. um, and we used to it was on a Monday it was always on a Monday it did turn into a couple more days it was always on a Monday because um, we felt like we deserved it after the weekends um, and after the game and it being our first day back in so it used to get us ready for ready for the week ahead I probably shouldn't say what I'm going to say anyway, um, because the fitness coaches won't be too happy. We used to we used to go to a place called Molens in Loughton. Oh yes, oh, I know Molens. Yeah, yes. yeah, you know Molens. Yeah, fantastic sandwiches. I used to get. Um, <laughs> no, we both did. We we both used to get a sausage and bacon bacon sandwich. Um, Ouch! And I used to, I used to get it with a fresh orange juice. He used to get it with for coffee with a coffee. Um, yeah, which probably led to us not being able to move a great deal on a Monday. Um, yeah, we weren't at our finest come come Monday training session, um, but we felt like we deserved it after the weekend and to get us ready for the week. And then every other day, it was strictly poached eggs on toast. <laughs> of course, naturally, when everyone was watching. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so we also had lots of fan um, questions from uh, our audience. So thanks to everyone who sent in their questions. Stephen Orient asked about Kenny. That's been answered. Charlie Paul was asked the left wing or left back question, which has been answered. So does Ian Hutchinson. Gorillas1985 asks an unrelated question, but one that I quite like. Who says, who has the best beard out of you and James Dayton? Yeah, after after I figured that one, Dayton. Um, I probably copied him a fair bit there because I, I, change, I change my beard length often. Um, and I haven't probably even found one that is my niche, which is... Which is why I completely like. However, he's had, um, yeah, he's had, he's had that beard down to a T for for a while, um, and it's a smooth beard. I can tell you that. Yeah, he looks after it very, very well. The thickness um, keeps it smooth. Yeah, I, I have to give that one to him. Fair enough. I'll give the I'll give the hair on top of the head to me, and he can have the hair at the on bottom the of the head. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um... LOFC Teresa said, please thank James for his contribution to the O's. We'll miss him always an O. Um, I think Wadsy's question's already been answered. I think we've spoken about um, yeah. the falling off last season. Frank Beavis asks, who's the best player you've played with in an orange shirt? Uh, ooh. Ooh. Okay. Um... I think Joe, Joby, I've got a few, again, I have to say a few, I have to shout out a few, it's only, it's only respectful. I think Joby, um, Joby was unbelievable. Um, his age, 
the level of performance he was able to give. Um, it would have been very nice to play with him, with him in his prime, um, with him younger. Um, I'm sure it would have been joy because I'm sure he would have even been been even better than he was. Um, and I already thought he was a great player playing with him. Um, I think Karoma can be can be anything he wants to be. I think one v one. Um, the self-confidence, the the creativity, the, to create something out of nothing. I think, um, yeah, he can be whatever he wants to be. I think he was a fantastic player. And then, um, yeah, I've got I've got to shout out Loz as well, Lawrence Vigaru, um, because I've been with him a fair few seasons, and um, well, I was with him in League One, and and I thought he was the best the best goalkeeper in that league for the two seasons I was with him in that league. Um, I thought he was the best goalkeeper in 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 League Two um, while he's been with us, um, and I think not only his shot stopping, but I think his his distribution. He can play at again. He can play at whatever level he wants to play at if he can um, if he can keep some consistency and and a bit of luck like everyone else needs in football um, for for somebody to to want you to play for them and to to give you that opportunity to show that you can play at a higher level. So I would say, yeah, them three are my big standouts. So you've you've been at the club for two and a half years. I mean, in in the lower leagues in particular, it's not that common that that a player sort of stays around for such a a long period of time. And in in the grand scheme of life, two and a half years isn't. Three isn't and a half. Sorry, three and a half years is isn't very much <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of it. But three and a half years in football is 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 like a lifetime and. A lot of the ups and downs that you've had with the club, you're not going to get anywhere else. Th- thankfully, the downs you'll not hopefully ever have again. But so it, it must have, I'm thinking kind of out the box a little bit here, and, and subconsciously or consciously, whichever way, you must have some sort of quite deep-rooted sort of connection to Orient now, because you said sort of about coming back and watching a game. Um but but what is the kind of magnetism that, that you know, is, is there a magnetism to want to come back to or in, in, in the future? Do, do you have that desire of, I don't know, not unfinished business because I don't think that that's right, but a, a desire and, and, and a deep-rooted kind of emotional connection to the club now that it's kind of like an adopted club, if you like? Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's, it's the first, I, I didn't quite feel at home. It's the, it's the first club, I yeah. felt at home at, for sure. Um, and I think I grew up the most on the pitch and off the pitch in the period of time um, that I was at Orion. And yeah, you say three and a half years, and like we said, it's, it's not a long time in life, it's a long time in football. Um, and it felt even longer than three and a half years because it was really enjoyable. It did feel like home. So you, you can never know in football. I, w- I would like to think, um, A, I would like... I would like to play at Orient again, for sure, because I feel at home there. Um, B, I would like that opportunity if it ever ever arise. Um, but I don't know if it would. Um, again, you need a bit of luck and at times. And um, yeah, you never know in football what will be. Um, so, but there will, like you said, there will always be, for me, a strong connection because it's the first club I've felt at home at and the first club I've been happy. And I, I came there happy. I left there happy. Um, and there's absolutely no ill feeling and I still have mates that, that play there and I still have people I know there so yeah I'm I'm a fan as well as a player so I am actually genuinely looking forward to, to going back and watching my mates play and 
being at Orient again. So, um, yeah, I hope at some point in the future the opportunity arises. I don't know if it will, but I, I hope at some point it would be it would be nice um, to play again to just to to enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoyed my football there, so it will always it will always be a nice feeling with me. Cool, thank you. As for football, you never know, do you? You never know what's around the corner. No, that's what I mean, yeah. Like, you'd like to think that it could happen, but you never know the journey Orient will take. You never know the journey I'll, I'll take from now in a few years, but they might not want me. <laughs> 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 you might have got, you might outgrown me in a few years. So, um, no, you never know. I hope so, but yeah. I can, you, you can never say definitely, can you? Got a question um, from the forum. I think most have been answered. Um user of bacon says what would you do if you weren't playing football and also ask how how many is the most times you've been fouled in a match and was there any team who was the worst for it oh um i don't know what I, what i would be if i weren't a footballer um i often think of what i do after football um like the the career that i'd like to go in because i think um after football coaching doesn't appeal to me a great deal i think there's a lot of different careers in life that you can enjoy and experience. I often think about a few things that I could do. Um, what would you do? I know what I was doing. I know what I was doing before football and that was um, almost like a sales analyst for British Airways. Um, but I, I think at the moment with the pandemic, I don't think that job will be going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I often think about after football, something like, um, I, I have a real love for houses. I love watching all the house programmes. Um, on Netflix turning the transformation so I'd like to maybe be like a project manager or something like that in um, in real estate or real estate development yeah and in terms of how many times you've been fouled in a match you know, okay there must be a dirty never team out there yeah I've never counted I, I like to think I get fouled a lot I take it as a compliment um, players probably think I dive a fair few times as well so it's hard to distinguish between what they would perceive as a time and what what is a foul. Um, but I've never counted. I can't. I can't pick out a certain team. Um, I can't pick out a certain team. Yeah, in my head, that um, okay. that I've been the most fouled from. I'd like to think that I got that I got the better of a of a fair few fullbacks, and they probably took it out of me a few many times. Yeah, more than likely. Oh, yeah, well, that's the way <laughs> fine, isn't it? We had an email from Gary Watts. Who said the board have made it clear to Kenny Jackett that the expectation for the O's next season is promotion. Looking back, how far do you think the O's need to improve to achieve their aim? Um, oh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, it's a hard question to answer. It, it, it feels like it's hard because you don't know who you're keeping. I, I would say there, would, there, there, there is a lot of players that there last year that are, are capable of being part of a successful team and have the ability to play um, in League 2 and League 1 so I would have the ability to achieve promotion I think just with the way it's happened I think there is a large turnover required of players um, because obviously a lot left and a lot got released so there is, there is a need for for a good number of players um, I'll always keep an eye out um, I speak to a lot of a lot of the boys that are still there and they said all the, all the new signings um have come in and have fitted right in um, and look very good. So I don't think I think at a as a club behind the scenes, it's it's in a real good place to achieve success um, with the owners behind it, the ambition. They're very driven. Um, 
So I just think if you, if they have a manager like Kenny that can recruit the, the players that he wants, um, I see no reason as to why they couldn't achieve that success this, this year or next year. Yeah, we've had quite a few fans, leave, uh, a few players leave us and, and go on to pastures new, yourself included. So um, it's a bit of an overhaul um, yeah, from yeah. our point of view. Um, but look, th- that's all the questions. I think broadly speaking, we, we've covered all the others that, that, that came in in some way, shape or form. So it just leaves us to, to ask you, do you have a message for the Orient fans? Oh, wow. What prepare for that? Um, no, we should have probably told you before we <laughs> started right. recording. That's right. Just an opportunity um, to, to say goodbye, really. Yeah, no, I just, um, I'd like to thank the, all the Orient fans for, for the support given to me um, over the years we're there. Um, there, there. There is a reason why it felt like home for me, and obviously the, the fans are a big part of that. Um, I always felt supported by them, um, and I always felt valued. Um, which is which is a lovely feeling as a player to feel to feel welcomed um, and to feel appreciated. So so I just want to thank them, yeah, for for their support. Um, I'll always keep an eye out. It feels like home to me. So I'll always keep an eye out and I'll always be looking at the results. And I I honestly hope that the the club achieves um, the success and the ambition um, that the owners want and that the fans want because I think it's a it's a real nice club that I felt uh, a real strong connection with. And I, I honestly deal with, there's not many clubs that, obviously when you get in leagues, that the club feels so close to the fans. And that is a club that the fans really do feel a part of. And it, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling, feeling like you know a lot of the people that um, that supporting you and you're playing for and you want the team to win. So, yeah, I, I can't thank them enough. Um, all I can say is, yeah, there's a reason why it feels like home um, and they're a big part of that great stuff what a way to end it and you know you leave the club as part of the history winning the National League and you'll always be fondly remembered by fans of Leighton Orient so that is it thanks for joining us for our James Brophy interview James it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on like we said at the start of the podcast we wish you every success at Cambridge United so it's time for a quick shameless plug from us if you're listening on itunes please subscribe give our podcast a review if you're listening on soundcloud spotify tune in or stitcher add us to your favorites and that way you'll have all the podcasts available as soon as they are uploaded we are also on all smart speakers now so listening to the podcast has got even easier yeah it absolutely has if you've got an older relative or a loved one or an orient chum or someone who's got a passing interest in orient um, that you think would like the podcast, grab their phone, download it for them and pass on the pod. James, thank you again for giving up your evening. It's semi-finals of the Euros. So thank you for uh, for uh, uh, being distracted by us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for being so open and honest with us as well. Um, it's, it's refreshing to hear some of the things that you've said as well. Um, and it kind of all fits in with what others have said. So it, it, it's great to hear and, and reminisce about the, uh, you know, the good times that we had at the club. Um, and thanks to everyone who's listening to this. Uh, and as always, we'd like to thank you. Keep calm. Stay safe, everybody. And we will hopefully be back either with a full episode or maybe even another little cheeky interview sometime very, very soon. So that's it from us. Thanks for listening. And up the O's.